0: One of the ways I put it to you, Jason, in another conversation is um, that I spent the first part of my life... um,
1: I can repeat it to you verbatim. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) Something like you spent many, many years wishing your father was more like you. Yeah. Only to realize that he possessed so many qualities that you wanted for yourself and that you wished you aspired to be more like him. Yeah, yeah. Man, Eric, I, I... I don't know if you've ever told your dad that in those specific words. Mm-hmm. If it hasn't happened yet, you have to—I yeah. <laughs> think you'd really <laughs> appreciate hearing that.
0: he <laughs> would probably appreciate yeah. hearing it before it comes out in this yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah
1: exactly. This is Two Watermelons in a Sack, a podcast exploring the lived experience of men and the parts of it you rarely talk about.
0: We're going to try to expand the norms of what we can be truthful about. And we're going to do this with as much vulnerability as we can stand.
1: I think that who we believe we should be, how we see ourselves, what we think is right, what we think is wrong, what we think is acceptable, unacceptable, has everything to do with the people that our fathers were or weren't the way that they've shaped our lives is profound. You know, we, we grow up looking at our fathers as kind of the ideals of, of strength and authority and, uh, and rightness and manliness. And um, like it or not, we grow up looking at them as the standards to live by. James Baldwin says that idols are meant to be destroyed. And so I feel like many of us spend much of our lives trying to really come face-to-face with the idols of our fathers that we've been worshiping our entire lives, the standards we've been holding ourselves to, the, the values that we've, that we've carried that you know perhaps really weren't ours, but kind of held that we've had them since we were very, very young. I, I'd say that I think a lot of us find um, a lot of our healing, a lot of our sense of inner freedom comes from the process of figuring out, over time, who are these men to us? Who are these fathers? And who are we in relation to them? I'll bring the grapes
2: mm-hmm. here. Might mm-hmm. as well put the coffee somewhere. I as well. Too.
1: So when you had your stroke... Last year, mm-hmm. and I couldn't, there wasn't a way for me to come mm-hmm. down. I really had to ask myself Do I feel complete in my relationship with my dad? Mm-hmm. Do I feel like if he passes away, yeah. did I do enough to, to let you know what you meant to me? And I think, under the circumstances, partly because I couldn't be here. Yeah. Um, but also partly because I think that we've we've also done a lot of... We've made a lot of efforts to, <laughs> over the years. You to, and I have. <laughs> we,
2: <laughs> Lord knows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So I was like, you know, I kind of came to the conclusion. Of course, there is no other place I'd rather be than to be with my dad right now. And I feel at peace that... You and I gave it a good go.
0: One of the things that seemed obvious about deciding to talk about dads is that uh, you know at this point in our lives, pretty far into our adulthood, um, we're reconciling the people that we are, the human beings that we are, with um, how we got to be this way. And our dads are a big part of that. And there are lots of beliefs about the way in which our dads are a big part of that. That um, it's really interesting and sometimes vital to interrogate like what part did my dad actually play in the guy that I turned out to be so that was one of the things that was unspoken but seemed obvious for us
1: yeah. absolutely i have no doubt i'm <laughs> under no illusion how big a part my dad played in mm-hmm. in who i became and i think that a big part of of growing up was really about kind of being able to separate the things that he gave me consciously or unconsciously and the things I really wanted to keep. And, um, and I think that a lot of the difficulties that we had in our relationship over the years was me realizing how deeply ingrained certain patterns of thought were in me. And I literally had to kind of like repudiate them to him it's like, I don't want this. <laughs> and me telling him was kind of like reminding myself, like, Jason, you don't want this. Like, this is not yours. But we had to go for years where I had to work through that. I had to kind of really forcibly claim my own personhood in this world. And uh, it's spent a lot of many years angry at him and confused at why he was the way he was and resenting certain things. And anyway... He gave me what he knew what to give me. And, you know, by most accounts, my dad is a pretty extraordinary person. But the process of of coming to a place of acceptance for myself and acceptance for him, that's been a long road. Were there any things about me and my personality that were really hard to be with? Well... Mm,
2: The only challenge, Jay, was that you were always like one step ahead of me. And all along, it really has been quite challenging. And I, if if anything, when I reflect, it's like I really haven't been adequately prepared for a creative mind like yours. So you have been a challenge and that I have never felt like adequately prepared to be like a role model. I mean, you may have seen some things about me and say, well, that's not a bad to be, but me feeling like a role model, uh, I've never felt that. I've regretted a lot of my failures very clearly. And uh, I feel like I've been more of a sufficient father for Paul and Leila, but not quite enough for you. Have you always felt that way, Dad? Just about, just about. So talented and uh, almost too caring, like your love for animals. I remember one time we were driving and you were in your car seat in the back. You were probably two and a half, three. And we passed by a paint manufacturing. And from the factory, a big pipe was dumping wastewater into the Chesapeake Bay. And uh, I said, oh my gosh, look at that. And you said, what, Dad? And I said, you know, that contamination. What is wrong with that, Dad? Well, I don't think the fish and all that really like that. And you just started crying. Why are they doing that? Why are they hurting the fish? the crabs, the shrimps, (laughs) why? And we couldn't calm you. You just cried for like at least 15 minutes complaining. (laughs) Why are they doing that? Mm -hmm. Your love for family. I remember once you were drawing, sitting at your desk and drawing with a very sharp pencil, and Layla was like two years old. She climbed up on, from the back of your chair to look over your shoulder and she was just so happy. And so you moved your pencil back and the tip of it touched Leila's forehead. And Leila cried and you cried, but why did I do that? my own sister, why did I do that, oh gosh. Now we had to calm down two kids, (laughs) you and Leila. I mean, which adult would do that? I mean, where did that sensitivity and depth of love uh, and concern come from? So you were kind of an enigma
1: From early childhood. It was hard for me, and now I know that it was hard for him. But I I feel like to hear my dad speak in that way made him more of a person to me. Mm -hmm. Like, he's also a person that feels inadequate and vulnerable and insecure just like me. And in fact, I'm one of the things that makes him feel that way. And so I look back at these years, these decades of conversation, and I'm like, I'm just seeing two people who are really just wanting to be seen by the other person and just constantly missing each other.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, of course, my gosh, you think you've given me a hard time. Um, Truly, when I look back, I feel like you really had the short end of the stick because you were our first child. I had no idea about parenting. I had heard and I had read, but nothing like actually having another person. And as you grew and uh, you were two, three, four years old, you were a person. You were not just a baby, you know, to tote around. You had a mind, creativity, and uh, in hindsight, really, Jason, I feel so badly that uh, I didn't nurture that creativity. I often, I think I controlled you and restricted you. Instead of encouraging you, supporting you and giving constructive uh, recommendations, oh, oh, please don't do that, oh, no, not that one. And, uh, you know, I know part of it was because I just didn't want you to get hurt in any way. Some things like you would want to do, definitely I would still say no. <laughs> but there were loads of moments that I look back, uh, I just was truly overprotective. I admire young couples these days. They give so much more free range within reason. So I really feel like I stifled. I, I don't even want to think the ramifications of all that in childhood, how it manifests itself.
1: <laughs> you're looking uh, at it.
2: <laughs> really? Well, <laughs> I mean, you, you're a great man today, but could you have been greater? Of course, <laughs> I couldn't picture that however I feel like oh wow
0: one of the things that was most striking to me about your conversation with your dad is the degree to which it seemed obvious, from my point of view, how much he admires you. Like, in his eyes, you're someone who's really, really special.
1: Yeah, I didn't expect it in this. I know my dad admires me and appreciates who I've become. What surprised me was more that he actually, from very early on, felt inadequate as a father. And uh, that was hard to hear, as soon as he said that, I, I, I felt apologetic for even putting him in the position to, to share. To like, <laughs> I was like, why am I doing this? And <laughs> the, the same token, I feel in a way like I had been wanting to hear that from him for as long as I could remember. That it wasn't easy for him to be my yeah. father. Yeah, it moved me really deeply that he would share that with me in that moment. Yeah.
0: And also, perhaps, that he saw you in a way that you didn't know that he saw you. you know? 100%. It was, it was beautiful for me to, to, to witness how, how really gentle you both were to each other in that moment. I mean, it's an extremely vulnerable place for both of you. And you guys, you know, really, I, I felt, took really good care of each other in that, in that moment. Hearing your dad talk about the way you were as a kid in a way that you wouldn't be able to, it, uh, it showed you to me in a new way. It's like I see you more completely now in a pretty significant dimension than I did before, which was really a special. Like, makes my picture of, of, of Jason that much more complete. And there are so many ways in which your experience was like the experience of both my mom and my wife in their families that it helps me to see them in more complete ways too because I have another point of entry into their experience because it dovetails with yours. So that's that's also kind of a, a beautiful thing. Because I didn't have a similar experience from my own vantage point at all. You know, I can kind of project a little bit. Um into what that that might have been like from from witnessing your exchange with your dad
1: it's it's a tricky thing, you know because i've really enjoyed hearing those stories that he shared because I had forgotten them or maybe not entirely forgotten, but I, it's like he was he was reminding me like yeah that's that 's the way you were, like these are the things that you would do and It's like it was reminding me of parts of myself that I I still carry, but they don't really get a whole lot of airtime. I don't give them a whole lot of space. And so it was interesting for me to be hearing him tell these stories with what felt with like a lot of care and tenderness. And I know at the same time, these were the experiences that were really, really hard for him to even relate to. This is not about blaming him but I think that I just I got from him and from many other sources I got a lot of got a lot of messages that being too sensitive being too whatever fill in the blank to this was just not it wasn't good it was inconvenient to the people around mm-hmm. you it was, so I can see like he's describing he's telling these stories and I can see like the kid in that story um, learned that being in that way was not in his best interest, <laughs> you know? Um, Fortunately, we, 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 in our lives, we, we meet people that see those parts of us too and actually say, wow, those are beautiful. I'd like to see more of that. But, uh, yeah, anyway, it's just kind of a, if nothing else, it just kind of takes me back into, like, what happened with that kid, you know, the kid that cried because they were polluting the rivers. <laughs> they were killing the fish, you know? <laughs> like, like, what happened to that kid?
0: <laughs> we wanted to do an episode about conversations with our dads that we've never had before. Okay. Yeah, conversations about stuff that we've never talked about. Okay. Things that we were curious about, but had never, had never come up. If I can help. One thing that's been on my mind over the years that I've been thinking about and couldn't really sort of imagine my way into, I just wanted to ask you about. Go ahead. Was um, when I was a kid, I think starting in high school, when I look back on pictures and when I think back on my experiences, I was a very feminine looking boy.
3: How do you mean Feminine. And that just surprises me.
0: Really? Go ahead, finish the question. Well, the question I had was, what was it like for you to have a son who was very feminine looking?
3: I never thought of you in terms of being feminine looking. Really? never have. It's interesting that you say that now, and it's still, I'm going to say, somewhat shocking. Huh. Because I've never, even, you know, looking at you, looking at Maria, you guys just fit. You know, I,
0: that's, that's interesting. Now you got me thinking. So I have a specific memory mm-hmm. of being in D.C., you know, visiting family like we did every year. Right. And you and I were together, like Maria and Mom were with us. Right. And I think we were just going around to see some of your old friends or some of your, your relatives, your cousins. And you introduced me to, you know, to some people that I hadn't met before. They hadn't seen me since I was little. Right. And we walk in together, and one of your old friends or one of your your cousins said, "Oh Webster, is this your daughter?" And you said, "No, no, no, this is my son, Eric." Hmm. Do you remember that? No, I don't. I mean,
3: <laughs> no, I never thought of that.
0: Wow, that's, I mean, no, that's that, fascinating. The, yeah, and I, you never noticed like if we'd be out somewhere like a restaurant or walking into a store, and people would say, like they, they would just look at me for a second, and they would say like, oh, "Can I help you, miss?" No, I mean, I, wow. And like the way I dressed and stuff never you struck you. You I mean, so
3: j- you had your own style. So yeah. Let's face it,
0: mm-hmm. you,
3: you never wanted your hair cut. I can remember going through that bit. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you had your own style and where you wanted to be, but mm-hmm. there was a resistance of you being you more so than
1: mm-hmm.
3: whether you were feminine. I just never thought of that.
0: Wow. It was never a conversation that you and mom had because I know, well, at least I remember her being kind of concerned or voicing concerns about me sort of not being particularly masculine and sort of just worrying about that for me. That, that wasn't something y'all ever talked about? No, n-
3: mm-hmm. and I'm smiling. Mm-hmm. No, and I and I probably won't even think about it even after this. Mm-hmm. I've never thought in terms of. Yeah, um, I just never thought of it like that. Wow. I mean, you were Eric. Hey, the way you looked was the way you looked. I mean, your grandparents, my side, never said anything any different. They never thought anything about it that, I know of. Or oh. Nobody's ever made
0: it. Because that was aware. my other question: if there was ever any conversation no, about it with nobody, relatives or no anything, no
3: one ever. I mean, and you said one of my relatives and my friends. And I'll take the fifth. To mm-hmm. the best of my memory, I can't recall
0: anything like that. Wow. I have mean, never thought of that, seriously. Really? Yeah. Huh. Y'all never wondered if I was gay? No. Really? I,
3: and it's funny because I guess I never thought in terms of even thinking that. Mm-hmm. It was always, you guys would be what you want to be. Mm-hmm. There was nothing I could do about it anyway,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and I mean, hopefully my reactions never made you decide one way or the other way that you had to be male or female. You just being you, which is something that's, you know, I can remember that more so. You're deciding I want to do it this way, which is your way,
0: mm-hmm.
3: which was okay. We had to accept that to a point, as long as it was within whatever guidelines we had set. Yeah, but I never thought of as being male or female masculine or gay or not gay yeah,
0: yeah. Wow. Hmm. Well, that's one of the things that's always struck me as kind of extraordinary about you, is that there never was anything coming from you that gave me the feeling of, like, sort of disapproval or worry, like, along mm-hmm. those lines. It's one of the reasons I wanted to ask, because oh, i would never, ever once felt that, ever. Which... It, I, I, I didn't notice at the time Mm because it was just normal. But looking back in hindsight, it's actually kind of extraordinary because I certainly know other men who may not have been the most masculine kids growing up who did get stuff from their fathers, you know, were shamed about it or, you know, even going to the extreme of, you know, abuse and things like that. But, you know, it's certainly normal, it's certainly common that feminine boys tend to have a kind of disturbing effect on on the typical father. But I never felt that from you at all, ever, Mm -hmm. which I've got to say probably had a really huge effect on my life in a positive way Mm -hmm. because I never felt any kind of vibe or any kind of sense of disapproval around that or certainly any kind of rejection Which is a pretty common experience. Yeah, common experience. Um, And, like I said, like in hindsight, it really it changed me because it's as it should be. Mm -hmm. But relative to many other people's experiences, um, it certainly the person that I turned out to be Mm -hmm. would have been a different person had. You've been different about it. Had you noticed, had you cared whether you had a different sensibility? Mm -hmm. But you didn't. And so I was free to become the person that I wound up being in a lot of ways because I didn't even notice that you were different from other dads in that respect. Mm -hmm. It never even entered my mind at the time. You know, we've always been cool with each other. We've never gotten in arguments or fights. But it always seemed like we were always just kind of Talking past each other, like there was not a connection of being seen. And it's kind of amazing when I asked them the question that I asked how maybe more than many other people saw me, like more truly than I even saw myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Conversations we
3: never had. I like this. I like this. Yeah.
0: Cool. All right. Well, well thanks. Mm. We did this. Yeah. And that's it? That's it. I just wanted to ask. Oh, really? This, this oh, question's anytime. been on my mind forever and ever. Yeah. Ever since I realized that you were different from a lot of other dads in, that, in this respect, I was like, huh, why is that? Like, was it was it an effort? Were you trying to be cool about something that maybe you weren't cool with? Or was it just fine? Like, I I never knew. I always wondered. Wow. Yeah. Because yeah. it just seemed extraordinary. Like, growing up, when you grew up, your generation, where you grew up, Where we lived in this part of the country, Mm -hmm. which is you know very conservative, button-down like you know place to to be and to grow up and raise one's kids. Um, Like, what's it? What what must have been like to have like this freaky-looking, girly-looking boy in Southern Indiana in the '70s and '80s? You know,
3: (laughs) I mean, it's it's harder to think in terms of. You're being a Baha'i or being raised up as a Baha'i. they never thinking. I just,
0: wow. Uh-huh. Like that was the thing that was more outside the norm, you mean? The being yeah, Baha'i? Yeah, not yeah.
3: even outside the norm. Mm-hmm. Because, fortunately, the idea was to raise Eric Maria to be independent, mm-hmm. along with some guidance. Mm-hmm. So I think whatever way you guys would have went or came out Mm -hmm. to what you are now, we'd have been been behind you
0: 100%. Yeah. Oh, we definitely felt that. I mean, speaking for myself, I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure Maria feels the same way, but, yeah, we definitely felt that. If you had responded differently in the way that a lot of other people would respond Mm -hmm. to the same kid, to me just being who I was, it could have led to a lot of trouble. Yeah, it could, yeah. You know? I mean, sure, yeah, I understand that. I mean... If I'd felt like rejected or judged or, you know, um, not good enough or not acceptable for being the way I was, things would have gone a completely different way.
3: Yeah, you know, know, but I I sit here, I guess you could say shoulda, woulda, coulda, but it turned out to be good. I mean, I'm I'm glad you, your sister, you turned out to be good. I sit back and think about the car drives You're picking on your sister for whatever reason.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's his little stuff. But, you know, you guys were always supportive. You weren't hurtful. You weren't judgmental. You, you know, never, like, withdrew your love because we weren't coming out the way that you thought we should. That never happened. And so you could say that we were free to be good kids because we didn't have to struggle with our parents' baggage or our parents' stuff coming down on our heads. Like, we never had that.
3: And then, in turn, I guess say that it's a good thing that we didn't feel that from our parents
0: per se. Mm.
3: Um, you
0: know, well, I, I think mom maybe did. Yeah, and and, and again,
3: maybe. I'm going to say just what little I know yeah. about her, mm-hmm. your mother. She may felt a little bit, but it's still tough. But she didn't, in turn,
0: inflict that on us, yeah. inflict
3: it on you yeah, guys. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, um, every parent should, and I'm saying should, mm-hmm. want the best for their kids. Mm-hmm. Being a parent is hard as you you know yourself. Mm-hmm. They go through, the kids go through changes. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, but by the same token, I feel we didn't do a bad job.
1: I love the sound of your dad's voice. I don't know if, if this is something that you experience about your dad, but... Well, as he's
0: gotten closer to the age he is, his voice sounds like his father's voice. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like my papa now, which has taken on a different level of meaning in light of this conversation because until this conversation with my dad, I never knew anything about what my grandparents were like as parents. This was the first information I ever got about that. And so hearing that the way he is as a father is a reflection of the way his father was to him makes the fact that his voice sounds like his father's at this point in his life like even more interesting, even more meaningful.
3: It was easier to sit down and talk. I mean, that was just something that my father and mother used to do with me, just, mm. just talk it out, uh-huh. understand why it was... I didn't know that about them, actually. Yeah. I've never heard my father or my mother ever say they were disappointed in me. Mm.
0: Yeah. And
3: that's the same thing we were trying to do. I felt that I needed to do with you and your sister. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you did this. It just went to the right versus going to the left.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, oh,
0: yeah. That's that's interesting to hear. I never really knew how your parents were as parents. Before. Yeah. yeah. Um, it makes a lot of sense.
3: This has been interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah, you know, thank you so much. No, oh, no problem. Not just for no. this, but for everything. <laughs> everything.
3: I think it's a two-way street. Yeah. Because it's not every day that somebody can sit down and say, thank you, son, for being my son.
0: hmm
3: And that's how I feel. You know, I can go out and leave this world saying I raised a son and a daughter who are my son and my daughter. Mm-hmm. They're good. You're good representatives. I think what you leave behind is more important than what you take away with you, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, that's what, what counts more so.
1: I'm just curious if when you look back at the conversation, there are things that you wanted from it that you didn't get. I don't think so. There might have been things that I
0: half expected. because mm-hmm. I didn't think it was going to go the way that it went. But it was more than I wanted, actually. I didn't have specific ideas about what I wanted, but whatever that was, this exceeded it.
1: <laughs> Part of the reason why I feel like both of these conversations were positive, you know, they felt like they, they helped us feel more connected to our fathers and them to us, relates to the way that we approach these conversations. I mean, when you know, when we kind of start thinking about what are the questions I have for my dad? I mean, I have a, I have a ton of questions but the fact that we settled on some variation of what was it like to be my dad.
0: It's grounded in curiosity. Yeah. And I think, I don't know that we necessarily articulated that ahead of time, but certainly in hindsight, we do recognize that that's what led to the conversations having the quality that they did, is that um, it was grounded in genuine curiosity, just human beings being curious about other human beings.
1: Yeah. Human beings seem to appreciate that.
0: (laughs) Well, it's nurturing from both sides. It isn't just about the fact that they would appreciate the curiosity. But for us as well, it's very nourishing to be curious. And the dynamic that it creates is one that is enlivening. For everyone, not just for us, but Everyone in the circle, because other members of my family have benefited from this conversation as well. Yeah. You
1: know? I shared the experience of the conversation that I had with my dad, with my, with my therapist. And she said, you know, it's understandable that it's hard for us to see certain people as people, like to see them as an equal and not objectify them in, in, in a number of ways. But once you do see this person as a person, When you can't or when you don't, it's on you. Once you've already reached that place of being able to to see their humanity and to see them in their wholeness, the moments when it's hard, the moments when you struggle after that, that's that's your responsibility to figure out. It's not what they're doing to you. Mm -hmm. And... I've interacted with my father many times since that conversation, and it has not been without frustration. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not that it, like, our, our relationship has suddenly become like, you know, some different thing, but I constantly am thinking about that. I, I feel that what that conversation helped me see in him is not something that I can pretend I didn't see. Mm. And so it's a constant reminder for me, both to have curiosity and to also have a tremendous amount of compassion. I know he got a fraction of what he gave me in terms of love understanding, curiosity, care, tenderness. You mean his upbringing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's really, I think, has been the gift of this conversation for me. I knew my dad was a great person. I knew he, he tried his best. But I think that he became more real to me. Yeah. And... And I think easier to love as a result. Nine months after this episode was recorded, Eric's father, Webster Meredith, passed away at the age of 75. We dedicate this episode to him and to all the dads that have made the time and the effort to have the conversations that matter.
0: My name is Eric. His name is Jason. Amy Loder produces the hell out of this show. Sharaf Entwistle is our editor and sound magician. The music was created by The Essay Question, which includes Salman Abudiat and myself, with additional music by It's Just Mikey. And our beautiful logo and website were designed by Nicole Correa. We are two watermelons in a sack and we love you. Catch y'all next time.